Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the final episode of Season 6 of the Firetime Podcast. And Man, this is a huge deal. I, I I can't believe that we're here. Every year that I do this podcast, I, I look back on it and just think about what's the ground that we covered and where do we want to go in the future? And to me, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, this is, this is the 97th episode of the Firetime podcast. And as I, as I sit here looking at it, this podcast has literally changed my life and getting to meet and speak with you who listen to it and, and travel is it it is incredible. And I, I never would have imagined, you know, when we hit that publish button for season one going on three years ago now, that that life would change so much. But it's been incredible. And I think what it has done for me is this podcast has number one made me rethink why I do things more than I ever imagined. And number two, it's showed me the value of community in ways that that I I just I would not have expected. And and for a number of you as as uh you listen to this and as you talk to other people who listen to it, I believe that the people listening to this are the future leaders of the fireplace industry. Whenever I record these QA episodes for the last episode of the season, I always try to do it as close to real time as possible. So this is literally just a couple days before the episode is going to release. And I just finished up a huge stretch of travel where I went out to the East Coast. I spent some time down in Kentucky and then some time in the Midwest. And in in doing this, like every stop of the way, there were people who'd been listening to the podcast and a lot of them were in positions where their boss wasn't taking them as seriously as they should have. They were working in a company that had always been doing it the same way for a long time. And and they felt like, you know, when am I going to get my chance? Like, I've got so many ideas. And my answer is just, hey, bide your time. There's a shelf life on the old way of doing things. There really is. And that's not to discount and say that, it you know, the old way of doing things is is horrible, but it's to say that that life is changing and and I believe it's actually the people who are listening to this podcast that I talk to that that are the movers and shakers of the industry that are the ones that are going to take this thing forward, and it's really cool to see. So as we get going here with the the Q and A episode, and I dive into you know all the questions that have been asked, I, I just want you to know that that wherever you are listening to this, if 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 you're if you feel stuck, if you feel like I'm not breaking through. Uh, you know, there's just, there, there's too much against me in this, in this current system of business. I mean, I, I want you to know that, that your time will come and the, the longer that you have to stay in the dip as Seth Godin calls it, the better you're actually going to be for it. Seth Godin says that anything you embark on that's meaningful has a dip to it. And, and in the dip, it is hard. And you are slogging your way through it. The world is against you. People are against you. But you don't want to quit in the dip. The, the smart time to quit is either before the dip or after the dip. But you don't want to quit in the dip because then you you spend all that time for nothing. 
And, you know, as, as, as I've jumped out, there's, there's a number of things in my life now that I'm in the dip on. And it can be hard to continue to push. But the thing to remember is that the longer that you are in the dip, the more meaningful the work is most likely. And honestly, the better you're going to be on the other side. So with all of that said, we've got a number of questions that I want to get to. And I, you know, these are amazing questions that I think are very, very relevant right now. I hope you get a ton of value out of it. Without further ado, here are the questions that I'll be answering. All right, so we are going to jump right into these questions, and these are some really, really good ones that have been asked over the last four months or so, and I'm going to do my best to give you everything I can here. The reason that Q&A episodes are so important is because this is where we really get to try to nuance answers for your specific business, sometimes in an interview or if I'm doing a teaching segment. I I have a certain business type in mind, or maybe the guest on the show does. Maybe your business is a little bit different. This is where you get to ask clarifying questions so that we can contextualize the information to be really specific for you, and, and I'd encourage you to keep taking advantage of it. Okay, first question right here. This is a big one. Tim, I would like to know more about sales follow up and accountability. You know, this is a great question, and this actually comes from a dealer on the East Coast. And when he reached out to me, it was it was it was in response to to some of the stuff we've been talking about on the podcast. And the idea was that number one, like most companies have a really hard time following up with customers, and uh, and number two, not many companies have a cadence of of accountability. And and he just asked, like Tim, can you? talk to me about this. Well, here's the first thing that I'll say. I want to, I want to tackle, I want to tackle accountability first, and then I want to tackle follow-up. Okay. So here's the thing about accountability and, and this comes from Grant Falco. So if you're in a position of leadership, whether you're a manager or an owner or some kind of a leader in your business or company, you are wildly accountable to your team members. I mean, think about all the things that you do for them. If you're if you're a business owner, I mean, you literally provide them their jobs. You spend marketing dollars to bring people into the showroom. You spend, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on displays and signage and a, a beautiful, you know, building or showroom. But in addition to that, you you give them you give them tools to 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 do their job. Maybe you invest in training or you invest in showing them a sales process. You get them an iPad. There's a lot of ways that you're accountable to them, not to mention the fact that when revenue goes down, you're losing sleep at night thinking about what can I do to get more revenue and and, and keep these people employed with my company. So, and even if you're not an owner, as a manager, you are accountable to your team. You're, You're helping them solve their problems. They're coming to you with issues. I was talking about this with Grant one time and Grant said to me, Tim, you know, you're incredibly accountable to your team, but how are they accountable to you? And at the time, a number of years ago, I didn't have an answer. And I realized like, they're actually not accountable to me. I'm giving them all these things and they're, they're not accountable. They like, we have metrics, but like, they don't actually have to give a report on their performance or anything like that. And for me, that really it really challenged me. So the first thing I'm going to ask you before I, I, I jump into some ideas is I'm going to ask you, I mean, I if you're a, a sales manager or a, a, a owner of a company 
or you run a division, if you're a leader in any way, I'm going to guess that you're wildly accountable to your team. How are they accountable to you? If they're not accountable to you, that's actually like, that's not a symbiotic relationship. That's them taking advantage of you. So we're going to get to follow up in a second because this question's about follow up and accountability. And, and it's from the sales end. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about sales, but you can apply this to a lot of different things. When it comes to sales, salespeople need to be accountable for their performance. And, and I'll give you an example of this. So right now, this has nothing to do with, with, um, running a hearth business, but right now as I'm building out Wi-Fi, we're in the middle of, of launching some amazing features that are going to go live in, in mid-August. And right now I'm staring at a whiteboard that's got a list of tasks and there are a lot of them, like probably 50 tasks and they're broken up by four team members that need to knock them out. And what we have done is we are putting dates next to every task. And for me, looking at the dates and seeing everybody else holds me accountable because I realize this is bigger than just me. And if I don't get this stuff done, I'm actually letting down these other people who are doing the work. And that accountability actually inspires me to do work for the team. The same thing is true with your salespeople. So here's what I would recommend to start with. If you have any kind of people that are in sales underneath you, I would advise that you require a weekly report. And my advice would be that you require this on the last day of the week that they they come in. So maybe it's on Friday or maybe it's on Saturday, whatever their last day of the week is. And this weekly report needs to have a few simple things on it. Number one, they need to tell you how many hours of follow-up time they spent the week before. We'll get to follow up in a second, but you know, you should actually be assigning your team members certain hours of follow-up time. A great place to start is two hours a week and you, and you help carve it out for them. So like Mondays from one to two and Wednesdays from three to four, they're off the showroom floor and they're working on nothing but follow-up. Okay. So in this report, number one, they need to tell you how much of their follow-up time they completed. Number two, they need to talk to you about where their numbers are at. So what's their sales goal for the month? What's their progress towards it? Where do they think the month is going to end? Number three, they need to tell you their goal for the upcoming week. And number four, they need to report how they did on their goal the previous week. So I actually do some work right now for for some companies managing their sales teams. Um, I live in Portland, Oregon, but I, I manage a sales team um, in Kentucky and then, and then another, a uh, little bit further down the East coast and people, and I do this temporarily when businesses come to me, I help them build this framework out for a few months and then hand it back to the, to the business owner. And, and when people come to me and they're like, so you could do this like from Portland, Oregon, it's like, yep. And it's through accountability. And I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to talk to you about my friend Quinn. So Quinn is an up and coming salesperson that is, he's doing an incredible job. And a number of months ago, his team, they, they didn't, you know, they were a good team, but like they didn't have accountability. And as, as they've started to work on their performance by sending me, you know, weekly reports and he literally this last week in his report, his goal for the upcoming week is that he would spend two hours working on ideas of how to overcome objections. And I'm like, my gosh, like that's amazing. Well, literally yesterday I go to check my email for his report for this week and it includes a Word document where he has scripted out the top objections that he gets on the showroom floor. 
how he can acknowledge the validity of the feelings behind that objection and then reframe it in a way that helps the customer overcome it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this thinking, this is incredible. And that's what accountability does. When people actually, you know, give a report for their performance and, and, and they know that they're not alone, they're with other people, they review it and talk about it, it builds teamwork. If you just let a sales team flounder where there's no accountability I mean, I'm telling you, they're gonna they're gonna not gonna be motivated to do their job. So all that to say, that's what I recommend for starting with accountability for your for your sales team. This implies a few things. It implies that the team has a sales goal. You do need to set sales goals, and you know, we can talk about that in a future episode. But they need to be giving a weekly account of their performance. This needs to go to you at the end of every week. Then my recommendation is on the first day of the week that everybody is in the office, you have a weekly sales meeting where you literally go through the reports and you talk about, hey, here's where our numbers are. You know where they are because the team reported to you where they are. So you can say, here's where we're at right now. You know, where do we think we're going to go in the future? Another thing that you can do is you can talk through your goals. And when you do this, the team actually has to give an account of their performance. So you would actually say to, you know, John or Susie on your sales team, hey, Susie, how are you doing on your numbers? And she reports her numbers to the team. You say, hey, Susie, how, how did you do on your goal last week? What's your goal this week? The team reports on their numbers. And then you as a leader, you can all come, you can, you can lead this charge and come together and help shape the direction of the team. I'll give some more kudos here. So my friend Curtis, who is, who is someone else on this, on this team that I manage, he sent in his report on a Friday evening and it had the numbers of how many sales he'd made for the month. I go in, we have this meeting on, on Tuesday afternoon and all of a sudden, he's got $10,000 more in sales than he did just three days ago. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, great job. Like, you're, you're crushing it. You sent this report on Friday and you've already got 10000 more. So, so what I'll say is this, is that when it comes to accountability, you got to bake it in. I would recommend a weekly report. You don't beat people over the head with this, but like you use it to guide and shape them. I, I, I do tell companies I work with when, when we start this and, and I talk about the weekly reports, I say, this report can be four sentences. I don't care how long it is, but it has to get turned in. And, and, and I don't know if me as like a, you know, a fractional sales manager from Portland, Oregon, I don't know if I have the power to fire you, but I always tell companies, I say, if you do not send this report in, I will recommend to your boss that you're fired. And that sounds really harsh, but the whole thing is that if someone won't send four sentences per week in about like, here's what I want to do. Here's my past performance. Honestly, they don't care about their job. And if, and, and if they say they're too busy to do it, what I do is I'll say, okay, perfect book time with me. So like, I will help you do this, there's, there, but there's no excuse for not getting it in. Okay. I'm going long on this question because I think it's really, really important. Um, I want to go to follow up next. Okay. So that's accountability. You've got a weekly report, you've got a weekly sales meeting and it'll, it'll transform a lot. Okay. Follow up. Follow up is everything. It, it, it really is. I was talking with my friend, Sam O'Donnell, who's been on this podcast earlier this season and we were talking a lot about follow-up over the last few weeks. And when he was on this podcast before, he mentioned that, you know, 10 to 15% of his sales that were that were completed this year happened 30 days or more after the customer had been in. But I would I would speculate from talking to him, I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, but upwards of 70% of his sales 
did not happen when the customer was on the showroom floor the first time. It happened through follow-up. And, you know, about 15% of it came in after 30 days. And and the far majority, over 50% of his sales came in within 30 days, but after the customer left the store. So you have to follow up. If You know, when I go into many companies... I, I tell them to cut their marketing budget by 60%, not because I'm against marketing, but because their team isn't following up. So if your team's not following up and you got customers leaking like a sieve, don't spend money on getting more people in the, in the doors, right? Instead, get your team to start following up and, and they'll actually make more money and, and you'll save more money too. So when it comes to follow up, it just has to be done. What you need to do is you need to track your opportunities in a uh, some some we'll get to this in a second, but there's there's these things called a CRM system. CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. Um, you want to track your customers somewhere to have a dashboard of knowing where they're at, so a team member can easily log in and look through it and 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 make those follow up calls and emails. But I would I would recommend that you start with two hours per week per salesperson and you try to grow it from there. Honestly, I'd love it to get to one hour a day per salesperson. But you start with two hours a week, you protect their time. So whatever it is, you know, Mondays from noon to one and Wednesdays from three to four, that team member is off the floor. They are there. The phone is not ringing next to them and they can focus on doing their follow up. It will transform your entire sales team. Okay, I went really long on that question because I, I I just think it's really important. And that rolls right into this next one that says, Hey, Tim, should we upgrade to a CRM system or a point of sale system? So this was a, this was a call that I got from a, a business here on the West Coast. And basically, their business didn't use an, an inventory system right now, at least, at least a sophisticated inventory system. And they want to start keeping track of their customers. They want to start keeping track of their inventory and purchasing. And they asked, you know, should we upgrade to a CRM system or a point of sale system? So truly, I actually think that the answer is both. But if I had a gun to my head and I had to make a decision, I would say a point of sale system first. It's going to be, it could depend a little bit on your business. But um, so a point of sale system would be something like, Ephesus or Windward or Service Titan or Service Monster. There's a million of them out there. Those are some of the popular ones that I I hear a lot about from working with different companies. But a point of sale system is going to be software where you can literally, you know, organize your inventory. So you can set up uh, your warehouse as an inventory location. You can assign bin numbers to parts. So the computer will tell you that this you know, size gasket rope is in this bin and you know exactly where it is in the warehouse. The other cool thing that you can do is you can assign each of your install trucks as an installation location and you can have dedicated inventory on the installation truck. So again, I mean, this is a really big deal if you want to have, you know, like tools that you, that you stock, um, vent pipe, whatever it is that you need for the job, you can literally stock that on your trucks. And at the end of the day, when the team is finished, they can report in, they can take inventory of their truck and that way you know what you need to order to refill it. Uh, final thing you can do is you can create what's called a saver kit. And this is this is something that came from Grant where a saver kit would be, say that you, you if you want to build a saver kit for a wood stove, this is a box that has whatever parts are going to be in it to save the job of a wood stove if something got messed up. So maybe it's got some lengths of chimney pipe, it's got a couple elbows in it, whatever it is, that saver kit can be an inventory location. So literally, 
when someone goes to do a wood stove, they can check out the saver kit and put it in the truck. They use the parts that are on it. At the end of the day, they take an inventory of their truck. They can take an inventory of the saver kit. Now you know exactly what to order to restock those. So a point of sale system is, I mean, this this will change your business if, if you use it correctly. It'll help you with purchasing. You'll be able to set minimum and maximum quantities for the different things you want to stock. So it'll tell you when you need to order. It can help you automatically cut POs for your vendors. I mean, this is something that's a really big deal. I mean, this, you can also do you know, dispatching and scheduling with it. I know, you know, Ryan Blake, who's been on this podcast, uses Service Titan and she really likes it as a dispatching tool. There's a there's a lot of different things that you can use this for and um, it's, it's very, very important. So I would say my gut, if I didn't know anything else about your business, I would tell you they're, they're both really important and you should do both. But if I had to pick one, point of sale system will, will change the way that you run your business and it can definitely keep things really organized. Okay, sorry, taking a sip of coffee here. It's early in the morning as I'm recording this. I want to talk about a CRM system, though. So this this person says, should we upgrade to a CRM system or a point of sales system? Um, a point of sales system is really going to help you with the back end of your business. The back end being your purchasing, your inventory, your warehouse, your your installation scheduling. A CRM system, uh, I believe, will mostly help you on the front end. Now. Um, CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management, and if, if, if that's a new acronym, think about it as a Rolodex, right? You know, 20 years ago, before, you know, we were using computers for everything, or maybe 30 years ago, you'd have a Rolodex for your customers, A, B, C, D, and you'd put your customer in, and maybe maybe you'd even, like, color code it based on where in the sales funnel you were, where the yellow meant you'd been out to their house, and um, green meant you'd taken a deposit blue meant you scheduled an install. That's all the CRM is, but digital. It's just a, it's a dashboard to understand where your customers are at in the process. So, um, my advice when it comes to a CRM is that you absolutely get one. There are all kinds of CRMs that are out there that like the most popular one in the world is called Salesforce and Salesforce is very, very, very powerful. Um, there's one called HubSpot. There's one called Insightly, and um, you know if you're interested, I've I've got one that is called it's it's called Wi-Fire, and Wi-Fire is specifically built for the hearth industry to uh, to help businesses. Now, just talking about CRMs in general, Wi-Fire aside, the the reason that I built the Wi-Fire CRM is. I spent some time looking at Salesforce and Insightly and some of these other CRMs, and they were incredible systems that were very, very complex. The problem for me was that in order for us to adapt to a CRM system, we would literally have to bulldoze everything we did. Like our point of sale system would go away. Uh, the way that we did our scheduling would go away, and and everything would have to be rebuilt around the CRM and the business was not in a place to overhaul literally everything that we did. And because our point of sale system worked great, our scheduling system worked great. We couldn't, we, we just, we weren't able to do that. And so for that reason, I'm like, well, these are, they're good systems, but like the complexity of getting this started is it's incredible. So then I, I set out to, to build Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi CRM is unbelievably simple. It gives you a really simple dashboard to understand exactly where in the sales funnel each of your customers are at. It has email marketing tied into it. So if you change, you know, the, the sales stage of the job from one to another, you can actually automatically have follow-up emails go out based on that you know, stage of the of the sales journey. And it gives you really simple metrics across the top of like 
how many dollars do I have in my backlog right now as a company? So a backlog is when you've taken a deposit for a product, but you haven't installed it yet, that's in your backlog. So that's your predictive revenue of, you know, if I've got $200,000 in the backlog, that means that over the next month as we install it, I can, I can expect that revenue to come in. So we give you simple metrics like that, like what's your close rate on, on jobs? How many follow-ups has your team made in the last 30 days? And then we break it down by salesperson too. So all that to say, you, every company needs, needs a CRM or you know, as I'd call it, like a customer dashboard. Every company needs this. I, I will caution you that as you go to look at point-of-sales systems, most of the companies that I listed earlier they will tell you, well, we have a CRM that is built into our point of sales system. Um, unfortunately, I, as, as I've looked at these, that, that CRM system is severely lacking. It's not, it's not intuitive. It's not visually appealing and, and it's extremely cumbersome to use. So my advice is that you use a point of sales system for your back end and you use a, a separate CRM for your front end. So um, I hope that that I hope that that helps you out. I think that that's an incredible question. My answer is both, but if I had to choose, um, I would say a point of sales system first. Okay, next question. I guess start going faster on these. Next question is how do I start growing accountability for my installers? This is a great question. The way that you start growing accountability is very similar to my my answer for salespeople. Is is that they have to start reporting on their performance, which means you need to start measuring their performance. So to grow accountability for installers, you have to have regular meetings. And um, you, know, you, you should probably be having a daily stand-up meeting for 15 minutes before they, they go out to the job in the morning. And you, know, you probably need to have a once-a-week team meeting where you review performance and you talk about you know, the things that need to be done. In order to do this, my suggestion would be you start measuring a couple basic metrics. The first one would be how many jobs were completed as planned the past week and how many jobs that you expected to complete didn't get finished. You should look at that number. And frankly, like you need to be shooting for 90%, like nine times out of 10, you go out there to finish that job and it gets finished. A lot of the time when I go into businesses, once they start measuring this, I mean, honestly, they're at like 30 to 40% as far as like actually completing the job the way it was supposed to because the notes weren't right or the vent kit was wrong or something changed. So you got to measure that and, and you got to talk about it as a group, make the installers report on it. Hey, crew number one, um, last week you went out to 11 jobs and only four of them were finished the way that they should have been. Can you talk about that? Right. Um, measure that, make them report on it. The second thing that you want to measure is time spent on the job. So if you budgeted six hours for the install and they spent four hours on it, incredible, man, how were you so efficient on that? If they spent eight hours on it, that you got to talk about that. Those two metrics in and of themselves, they will change your installation department, but that's how you do it. Regular meetings and have them report on their performance that you measure. There's a lot of other factors that you can measure, but um, those two at the beginning, man, those are those are heavy, heavy hitters. We'll get back to our question and answer episode in just one second. Hey, I have got a huge announcement to make, like gigantic, and it's this. 
So Grant and I have been traveling around on blitz trips for the last couple of years to go in and work with businesses on their systems and processes, on sales, warehouse, installation, to help businesses run better and be more profitable. And we had this idea about nine months ago, and it's just coming to fruition now, where we're taking all of the ideas and content that we have learned through traveling across the country, and we are putting together a fire time workshop. Now, this is a big deal. We are going to offer two of them in 2022. So you're getting like almost one year notice because this is going to be a three-day workshop. We're going to offer one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. And, and I'm telling you, like, it's going to be incredible. When, when you come into this workshop, we are going to take you through seven different modules that start from your own personal development and growth to sales to installation to warehouse to purchasing to scheduling we're going to take you all the way through running your business and by the end of it you are going to have a weekly report that your entire team helps you make that is a dashboard for the way to run your company that I'm, I'm telling you like as you get this thing in place you will be able to run your company from Hawaii if you go on vacation. And the reason I can say that is I've seen Grant Falco do it. This doesn't mean you're an absentee owner, but it means that you have the tools to set your team up to succeed. Now, these workshops are going to be exclusive. There's a limited number of dealers that, that are going to be able to come to each one. But if you want to sign up for the waiting list, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop Put your name and your email address in, and we will reach out to you with more information. For now, all I'm going to say, there's going to be a West Coast and an East Coast workshop. The locations are terrific, and I'm telling you, this is going to be so much fun. Me and Grant are going to be there, the whole team of the Firetime Magazine, and the dealers that are going to be here, we're going to pair you up. Like You are literally going to have a partner in crime to go through this with, and even after the workshop, you'll have a business leader where you are accountable to each other to continue to grow this. To sign up for the waiting list for the Firetime Workshop, go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop. And I can't wait to help you transform your business. Okay, here's a great one. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty classic, and I think a lot of people are going to relate to this. The question is, I'm not working on my business because I'm too busy working in it. What do I do? So honestly, what you do is you make time. That's it. Like you make time. Um, and this is going to sound harsh, but you, but you know what? You, you, you find time to eat. You find time to go to the bathroom. You find time to, to wash your clothes. Um, find time to work on your business, period. Now, this doesn't mean that you spend 60% of your time working on your business, but I'm, I'm telling you that like, if you start with two hours a week for a year, you'll, you'll change, you'll change your business. It doesn't take a lot. So, but you got to make time. So, you know, my questions would be like, do you have a personal calendar? Do you stick to that personal calendar? That's where you'd probably want to start. And you know, you, you want to, whatever, whatever time it's going to be, maybe it's like for me, Thursday afternoons, I have set aside as kind of like thinking time, creative space time. And I, I don't always hit it, but because it's always on my calendar and I always review my weeks, 
I'm calibrated where I know like, hey, I missed it this week. I'm really going to make sure I hit it next week. So making time for your business is the same thing. And and I would just think about like a list of projects. So like working on your business doesn't have to mean just like sitting alone in a room and thinking. It, it, it could mean like, here's a great example. It could mean, hey, uh, we've been wanting for years to have a job walk form so that whenever we go and do estimates and take notes for the installers, they always come in the same way every single time. Like what a great task to work on during this quote unquote on the business time. That's working on the business. Like you're building a, a framework that will that will grow beyond you. There's so many things you can do, but I, I, you just got to make the time. There's no way around it. Um, and I, w- I would start simple. Start with two hours a week. Small effort over a long period of time is all that you need. It'll transform your business. Okay, here's the next question. Um, okay, this came this came up uh, from a, a course that I taught up in Canada. Um, I guess it was a remote course because the border was closed with COVID. But here's the question. Why is it so hard for dealers to hold on to talent? What do they need to do differently? I, I would say that um, most dealers don't value talent. They don't work on growing talent. And they don't have a plan for talent, so they lose talent. And and you know, I I've gone into businesses where where people will they will you know they'll be talking about someone that that came on board and they'll just be like oh they just don't get it. And I'm and I'm looking at this team member thinking like well they're they're pretty sharp like I think that they could actually be really really good but you're just not investing in them. I was secret shopping in the Midwest, um, you know, about a week week and a half ago at a dealership where we were talking to someone who was young, um, very professional, very courteous, uh, but, but a pretty bad salesperson. And, but you could tell the reason why was because the company hadn't invested in them. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like this company probably thinks like, ah, oh, this person just doesn't really get it. They're not really putting up good numbers. And, and I look at this person and think, well, they're not good right now, but it's, I just know that they're not getting poured into. And if this person could get poured into, like they could be good. They could be really good. Now I'm I'm speculating on that company, but that was, that was what I kind of surmised as, as, as we were there. So a lot of dealers just, they don't value talent. They've got this idea that people have to be perfect. They don't need to be trained. And uh, so I, I would say like what, when the second part of the question, what they need to do differently, there needs to be a plan. So, and again, this goes back to working on your business. Like you need to have a plan for working with your, with talent or you're going to lose it. So the plan, like it needs to start with training. Like, how are you going to train them? If they're a salesperson, like how are you going to invest in sales training? And maybe you don't have time. So, I mean, maybe you have them listen to this podcast starting at the beginning. Maybe you have, you find five episodes of this that you like. Maybe you find three books and you say, you got to read these books. If it's an installer, you know, how do you train them? Well, you know, there's all kinds of amazing resources like Jerry Eisenhower with the CVC, you know, coaching network. And I mean, there's, there's so many things that you can do in our industry to, to train or just, you know, you, you task your lead installer and say, Hey, three weeks from now, I want this new installation helper to have done a support box, a direct vent out the back and uh, a pellet stove, you know, whatever it is, but, but you, you have to assign this, you have to have a plan of like, how do we do it? What's the plan to to get this person trained up? In addition to the to like the training, I believe that talented people need to know that the business has a plan for them personally. So when 
when when someone goes to work for you, they are you know they're stepping into the unknown, and if they're motivated and talented, they want to get somewhere in life, and they need to know that your business is the right horse to ride. So you you really do need to tell them like, hey, we've got a plan for you, and these are the steps in the plan, and if you can follow this, you'll get here. I'll caution you to say you don't you don't give them everything in the plan all at once because especially you know us millennials we might think that we can just skip a few steps over the next like three months versus realizing that this can take actually years to develop but you you always want to let them know what the next step of the plan is and say like hey like we see a future for you here's what's next and then as maturity allows you can you can reveal more and more of that plan but you know, most companies don't have a plan for their people. Owners are too busy, you know, running around in circles doing something important that they're not valuing their team. They're, they don't have a plan for how to grow their team. And then finally, the last thing when it comes to talent, you got to pay them. You got to pay your talent. And I'm not saying you need to overpay them. Uh, I understand not all markets can pay the same, but you need to pay a respectable wage. One of the things for me, probably 10 years ago, no longer than that. Anyway, I worked for a retailer and um, I was. At a point in my life where I wanted to make more money because I was getting married, I was buying a house, and um, I was not paid on a on a commission. I was just paid a flat rate. And I went to talk to my boss and and said, "Hey, you know, is there anything that I can do to to get more money? Can I take on more responsibility? Can I can I you know grow my sales to this amount?" And I was told in no uncertain terms, um, "You'll never make more than you're making now, no matter what you do. It's not possible in this industry." So get out and be grateful. And um, for me, like that was the point where I knew, okay, I'm going to leave. And I, you know, it took six, seven months, but, but for me, it was like, that's the ceiling. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm looking at like, you know, I know the house that you live in. I know the car that you drive. Like I know that there is, you know, more money in this industry and I don't want it for nothing. Like I want to go and help the business grow. But like, that was an example of somebody that was not working on a plan and, um, you know, just had a mentality that I think was completely detrimental to holding on to talent. So all that to say, if you can, uh, if you, if you have a plan to train your talent, you invest in them, you have a, you have, you have a plan for where you're going to grow them to in their position and you pay them fairly. I think that you're going to hold on to talent. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee, but I think, I think that you will. This next question, uh, kind of piggybacks off this. This one also came from Canada and, um, it said, how do you mentor young people to stay with your business. You know, it goes it goes back to a lot of the answers to these questions. You meet with them regularly. I, I mean, I'd recommend uh, probably once a month, you should have a meeting with anybody who reports to you directly. And um, I mean, a couple of things, like if you... You need you need to be able to carve out time for that. Otherwise, you you shouldn't be a leader. So, if you have five people report to you directly, you actually need to have like five meetings a month where you're just meeting with them one on one, and you're helping be a mentor for them. Um, for me, I would always love to take my team to a coffee shop. Very often, I would stack these meetings up, so I'd spend a half day to three quarters of a day in a coffee shop. Um, team members would come in, you know, every hour. We'd spend an hour together talking and and going through their life and their goals and how they how they like their job and 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 it was incredible. As a leader, you have to do that though. If you're not willing to do that, like get out of the way because someone else needs to step in and mentor those people or you're going to lose them. So I would, I would advise that, you know, um, just meeting regularly will go so far. And, and I, I'd, I'd come up with a list of like five questions. Like, you know, how are you doing in general? Um, how do you feel about your job? 
Are, are, you, are you going the direction in life that you, that you want to go right now? How can I help you overcome you know, any obstacles that are in front of you? What can I be doing better as a leader? Like if you just ask those five questions every single month, like I mean, you're going to get some great answers. And, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I, I've had team members that I've lost. But because we had these mentoring relationships, they told me months ahead of time. And I actually encouraged them sometimes to take the leap. But, but if, I, if I wouldn't have mentored them and, and met with them once a month, they just would have put in their two weeks. Like how great would it be to have six months notice instead of two weeks? You know, I, I think that that's the answer. Meet regularly. You, you, you got to make time for that. And um, if you have too many people reporting to you that you can't do it, then you need to have less rep- less people reporting to you. Okay, we got a couple more questions, and um, then we'll wrap this up. <sighs> okay, this one, I, this question has actually come up a lot, but it has to do with the supply chain, and it's asking, what do I think is going to happen for the rest of the season? I mean, if you're listening to this in real time, my goodness, like. You know, the demand is out of this world and the supply is uh, really bad. Okay, here's what I think is going to happen. And I would love to be wrong. So I'm recording this in June right now of 2021. Uh, supply has been horrible. We've had some manufacturers that have literally been backordered for six months. I've heard of some manufacturers throwing retroactive price increases on their products, which is like, it's like the dumbest way to do business I've ever heard of. Um other manufacturers are pulling multiple price increases with 24 hours notice. Um, the situation is really difficult. I'm not saying it's easy for anybody, uh, but it is It is a tough slog right now. And I believe that right now is the best supply that we are going to get in the next eight months. I think everything that we've experienced for the last six months will continue and get worse. Um, there's one manufacturer that's done an unbelievable job with supply, and you guys all know who that is. Their logistics are out of this world, and um, they are going to do really, really, really well. And I know that they're pushed too. Um, almost everybody else is in a tough spot, and I don't think it's going to catch up. So I think that for this year, the companies that have inventory are the companies that are going to win. Um, I think that this would be a great time to start building relationships with your distributors because distributors have warehouses that are full of inventory and you might need to change product lines. And um, I think I think that it, it already is bad and I, I believe it's only going to get worse. And I, I, what I wish is that most manufacturers have not been transparent about that with their dealers. And um, I wish that there was more transparency. Uh, I would love to be wrong. I would love it if four weeks from now something changes and we've got stock, we've got product again. Um, I just don't believe it's going to happen. I think it's going to be probably March or April of the next year before we get back to somewhat normal manufacturing levels. So if you're a dealer, I would say start stocking inventory. Um, if you don't have the cash flow to stock inventory, I would recommend taking on a product line from a distributor where they've got a ton of it. But whoever has inventory this year is going to win. So it's a tough answer, but um, but that's that's my answer on what I think is going to happen the rest of the season. Okay, last question of this show. Oh, this is so good. I had this. I had this conversation the other day, and um, this is from a, uh, a new uh, salesperson out here that is in the Pacific Northwest. And the question is that um, I'm new to the industry and taking over for a business that's been doing it the same way for years. Where do I start? And I was thinking about this a lot, and man. You know, I, 
I would imagine a lot of people are in the same spot, whether they're taking over a business or, you know, maybe they're, they're new salesperson. So they're kind of taking over a sales department or they're a new installer or a service technician. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it here because I, in the nuance of this conversation had to do with sales, but you know, my belief when you're, when you're taking over, well, let's talk about this holistically and then, and then I'll give a, I'll give a sales lens to it. So when you're taking over a business that's been doing it the same way for years, the first thing you have to do is audit why things have been done that way. So you need to look at like all the different processes, like why do we do it this way? And if the answer is, well, because we've always done it that way, um, that's not a good answer. And you probably need to dig further. If there's not a good answer, uh, it most likely needs to be changed. Now, again, I'm not against what's been done and you don't want to destroy things and make them overly complicated when they're simple and they've worked. Like, you know, cars still have four wheels, even though they could have six wheels or seven wheels. Like, cars have four wheels. There's there's a reason why. So, yeah, it's always been done that way, you know, for the last hundred years, but there's a there's a good reason why. So I'm not against the way it's been done, but I want to know, I want to know why. So that's what I would do. I would start auditing that. Um, the first thing that I would look to do is I would look to see where can we use digital tools to make things easier. When it comes to the way that we estimate, can we use software to make it easier, to get estimates out quicker? When it comes to um, doing job walks and estimating jobs, rather than sketching it out on paper, bringing it back to the office and either you know putting it in a file or scanning it, use a service like JotForm or Google Forms where we can actually create the form. It can be done on an iPad or a laptop and in real time, right after the job is completed, that goes to the appropriate place, whether it's the salesperson or the installation manager. So I would, I, that's low hanging fruit that will make a difference. I want to talk about the sales end a little bit. Um, you want to find a way to have easy pricing. So again, some there's software out there that can, that can help you with this. Um, but you, you really want to have, you want to have easy pricing. And when a customer comes into the showroom, you want to be able to give them an estimate very, very quickly before they leave. And it's okay if it's an estimate range. I, you know, I know that you have to go out to that house to, to make that a firm number in most cases, but they, but they need a written estimate before they leave. Um, I was thinking back on my journey and I was thinking about like, what was the start of everything? And I'm, I'm going to say something kind of crazy, and, but I, I really think this is true. So again, if someone came to me and was like, "Hey Tim, like I'm I'm just taking over a I'm just taking over a business, and um, what advice would you give me?" I think that this is what I would say: if you can measure your door swings and give true retail customers an estimate, eighty percent of the time, you'll figure everything else out. And and I I think that that's because that was it for me. So like, honestly, everything started for me with tracking door swings. This is probably going back seven, eight years now, maybe seven years ago. Everything started with tracking door swings. And we did this by hand. You know, like I get that there's digital counter systems, but I don't, I don't want them. I want, I want it by hand because I want more information. So like we would track a few simple categories. One, when someone came in, we track what type of customer they were, retail, a builder, a builder client, a designer. We'd categorize what type of customer they were. Then we'd categorize what brought them in. Um, Google, they saw a Facebook ad, TV, radio, referral, sale, like whatever it is, you, you categorize why they're in. 
then you've got a list of any of the reasons, any of the products that they could be looking at. Gas insert, wood fireplace, will call pickup, vent pipe, mantle. And you check the box of what they looked at. And then finally, you have a column that checks whether you wrote them up an estimate or scheduled an in-home visit. That literally, like, that changed everything. And with this, there's a factor of human error, no question. So I would look at this and think like, yeah, we might miss 10 to 15% of our customers, but man, I'll take 85% accuracy on that all day long because I know what we're quoting. I know what people are looking at. I know our estimate percentage. Now I can look at this and like literally when we started doing this, if you would have asked me before, I would have said like, oh, we probably write estimates up like 70, 80% of the time with our true retail customers. I mean, we were at like 17%. It was it was like laughable that eight and a half out of 10 people coming into the store looking for a fireplace or an insert or a stove walked out without an estimate and listening to this, you might think like, oh my gosh, Tim, like that's horrible. Your business might do the same thing in the last couple of years. I don't know the exact number. I've probably secret shopped. I'm guessing 30 different hearth businesses somewhere in there, 20 to 30. And, um, I, I, I've, I've literally in the last two years, I don't think I've ever been written up an estimate and not even offered that. And that's crazy. Like that's actually totally crazy. So if you start measuring it, I I would actually guess that your number is probably going to be about where mine was. It's probably about 20%. Once you start measuring it, now you can do something about it. Now you might say like, well, Tim, not every customer needs a fireplace. Some people, you know, are, are doing a will call pickup or need vent pipe or whatever. Totally. And that's why the metric is your true retail customers. So, you know, we would categorize a true retail customer as someone who was looking at a product that was, you know, more than a thousand bucks that needed a salesperson's help. Um, so we wouldn't include like the people looking at will calls or the people looking at vent pipe, but the people looking at stoves, fireplaces, um, you know, zero clearance units, whatever it is, we want to, we want to write up an estimate before they leave the showroom for 80% of those people. If you start tracking your door swings and you push for an 80% estimate rate of your true retail customers, you'll figure everything else out. That will start you down a journey that I started seven years ago. And, and, and I really believe you'll figure it out. You'll start, that will get you to start asking the right questions and you'll be able to take those same questions to other aspects of your business. Well, I hope you enjoyed that Q&A episode. Oh my gosh, like I, I get so much life out of this because I, I just think it's incredible that, that there's so many people around the country that are asking questions and they're getting value out of this. And it, it is an honor for me to be able to, to give you my opinion. If, if you have follow-up questions on this, you're welcome to reach out. Next season, we are going to be doing another Q&A episode to finish that season up. And you can go to the website, itsfiretime.com slash ask and get those questions in. Even if it's something that you want more clarity on from this episode, we would love to help you. Now, okay, I got to talk about this as we, as we finish this episode up. So, this is episode 97, which, you know, it blows my mind. And um, I've got some special ideas for episode 100 before the HPB Expo was canceled and, and, and you know, gone to a virtual platform. I, I was so close to trying to time episode 100 to be at the trade show and it just, you know, just didn't work out. But, but 
next season, I want, I want to talk to you about kind of the framework for it and then what we're going to do. For, well, I'll just say we're going to do something special for episode 100. So next season, season seven of the podcast, we're going to do two things. Uh, number one is we are going to be interviewing more contributors from the Firetime magazine. The second thing, though, is you, you heard it in the advertisement in the middle of this episode. Guys, we are launching Firetime workshops, and I'm just telling you that they are going to be a game changer. Like, they are going to be a game changer. We're taking what me and Grant have done on our Blitz trips, and we are condensing it into a three-day workshop that is really about, oh, it's less than a third the cost, like actually quite a bit less than a third the cost of a Blitz trip. Um, And you can come in, and we are going to give you everything that we have to change the way that you run your business, your sales team, your reporting. I mean, oh, like we cannot, we cannot wait. And this has been built through us going out to all these different businesses. We've, We've taken all this content, we're putting it together for you. But I know that not everybody can go to a workshop. I, you know, the price is, uh, even though it's a lot less than a blitz trip, there, there is a cost to it. There's travel involved. And, um, Not everyone's going to be able to do it. So next season, we're going to spend the first half of of this season going through some of the different elements that we're going to cover in the workshops. That that way you can still get some value out of it. But we'll take a special break for episode 100. And um, I I actually think I'm going to tell some, some stories about some of the experiences I've had since starting the podcast. And uh I, I think that you're going to think that they're pretty funny and, and I hope that you get some value out of it too because I talked at the beginning of this episode about the dip and and truly, um, I would say that I have been going through the dip on the podcast for the last three years and I, would, I actually still believe that I'm still in it. There's been a lot of punches to the face. There's been a lot of uh, no's. There's been a few yeses, which have been incredible, but um, I have some funny stories about the dip that uh, I, I think will, you know... I think that they're going to be relatable and, and hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll get some value um, to, to just understand the persistence that's required sometimes um, and just the ridiculous things that you have to go through. So um, next season, we cannot wait. We're going to we're going to take a break for a few months. Uh, as always, with our podcast episodes next season, we'll start the Tuesday after Labor Day. So um, in the meantime, you know, my encouragement to you would be to go back and uh have your sales team and your installation team listen to strategic episodes of this podcast to be able to brush up and and get ready for season seven. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash it's fire time. You know, we don't we don't take your contributions lightly. I mean, we have some people that give as little as five bucks a month, some people that give more. And honestly, like, it's all incredible. I mean, if 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 you get value out of this and you want to, you know, take me out for a virtual cup of coffee and give five bucks a month, it, it literally it, it means the world because we have a, a very small budget, but that budget does allow us to outsource a lot of the administrative duties of this podcast so that you know we can continue to to give you the highest level of content possible. We made a major upgrade to our to our equipment this last season to try to make it sound better, to try to just, you know, just make it a better listening experience for you. And the only reason we can do that is because of the monthly support that we get. So so thank you. It, it means a lot. And we know that not everybody can contribute. If you're in a spot financially where you can't, man, listen to this. Like it's always going to be free. But if you know someone that's contributing, like thank them for it. It it, it really means a lot. 
So I'm going to sign off for the next three months. I hope that your summer is incredible. If you're in the dip right now, continue to push through. Do not quit. You can quit after the dip, but don't do it right now. You're in an incubator of growth. And and if you give up, you're never going to see the results of it. So know that the work you're doing matters. Know that you're part of a community and know that you are one of the future leaders of our industry. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn.